0: I was born into a family of alcoholism right from the gate, and everybody in my extended family drank. It was just normal. At the age of 12, um, I started drinking, taking drugs and smoking cigarettes. At the age of 18, I moved in with uh, my then boyfriend and we sold drugs and did drugs and uh, lived that way for seven, eight years. Until about 1998 on New Year's Eve, I just couldn't do the fighting and the chaos and the drama and the drugs anymore. And so I decided I was going to find inner peace no matter what it took. And in 1999, I put down the the drugs and alcohol and cigarettes for good. Uh, Around that same time, my son was in middle school and one of the teachers at his public school was taking at-risk children to church. And I had been raised a Catholic and I knew who God was, but I didn't understand a relationship with Jesus. So for about six months, I sat in the very back of a youth group and I heard about this Jesus that I had never heard before. When the doors of the church were open, I was there. I was so hungry for the word and for this Jesus that was going to forgive me for all the things I had done. So here I am this tattooed, drug addict, divorced woman getting to serve God in all sorts of ministries. Through it all, my story has shown me that anyone can serve, that God can use anybody's story and turn it for his glory.
1: Isn't God awesome? I'm telling you, my goodness. If you know uh, Kelly, she is such a trophy of grace. And you really, just what our church is all about, if you're visiting with us, this is what we're about. We're a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And, and, And what I mean by that is God loves you just the way you are, and we love you just the way we are. But here's the thing, we believe that God loves us just the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way. And so as Pastor Eric was preaching last Sunday, growing people change and God begins to work in our lives and point us in a new direction. And we're so glad that you're here. If you are a visitor, uh, I would love to meet you. If you've got an extra minute or two after the service is over, I'm going to be out in the lobby. If you've got a chance to come by and introduce yourself, I would really enjoy the chance for us to get better acquainted. But we hope you feel right at home and part of the family right off the bat. I always like to say, just consider this a giant living room. And you've come in on a family reunion and just consider yourself part of the family right off the bat. We are so, so glad uh, that you are here. Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. We've been doing a series on vision, which is kind of easy to figure out up here uh, we 've been doing this series on vision to kind of launch the new year um, a few weeks ago, I talked on our purpose statement, everyone everywhere following Jesus, and then the next week, I talked on our mission statement, connect with God, connect with others, connect others with God, and then we got into our five core values. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about being better together. Last Sunday, as I mentioned, Pastor Eric uh, preached on growing people change, and now we come to Everyone is Designed to Serve. And here's the big idea uh, for the morning behind uh, this title, Everyone is Designed uh, to Serve. God made you to make a difference when you serve others. God made you to make a difference when you serve others. And so what we want to do is we want to break down this core value into three parts. First of all, everyone then is designed and then to serve. Now first of all, everyone. Mark chapter 9 verse 35, Uh, sitting down Jesus called the 12, that's the 12 disciples or followers of Jesus, and said anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So everyone that follows Christ is also called to be a servant to God, a servant to Christ, and a servant uh, to other people. Everyone. Uh, Kimberly and I have had the privilege to go to a couple of uh, presidential prayer breakfasts. And uh, we went once uh, with President Clinton and once with uh, President Bush. And the last one we were at with President Bush, you're sitting there and you're just staring at the head table because the head table has the most powerful people in the whole world. And so you're just staring at them. You don't eat your breakfast at all, because it's like watching animals in a zoo. You're just like, what are they doing? What are they saying? You know, what do they laugh about? And all of a sudden, we realized that one of the waiters had forgotten to give President Bush any coffee in his coffee cup. Now, that's a bad day. Any of you have been waiters or waitresses? It's a bad day when you forget to give uh, the President of the United States uh, his coffee. And so the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, that is the top soldier, in our military, okay? So this is the leader of the greatest military in world history. He sees this need. He stands up. He gets the coffee cup, a, a, a kettle, or I don't know. What do you call that? The fancy. When you're at something fancy, what do you call it? What? A craft? What? What? Barack. Okay. He get the coffee thing, and he, and he walked over, and he fills President Bush's coffee cup. And everybody cheers, because here's the most powerful military in world history, you know, uh, giving coffee to the most powerful man politically in the world. But then President Bush gets up after the Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman sits down. He gets the coffee thing, and he walks over, and he fills the coffee cup, for uh, the, um, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And everybody cheers, why? Because they saw the most powerful military man on the planet, or in history, um, serving the most powerful political leader at that time, and that leader doing vice versa. And it was a picture of everyone is called to be a servant of all. Could somebody grab me before the next service and give me the name of whatever that thing is? But the 11-11s, well, they won't even care. You know what I mean? So he went to the Starbucks and got him some coffee and brought it over. So, At any rate, I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I've shared it with you before. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. I love it. Anybody want to say amen to that? That, that is really good news. Okay. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. And then Colossians 3, verse 23. uh, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Do you want to revitalize your life? If you find your job is boring or your schoolwork is boring or or just changing one diaper after another or wiping one runny nose after another, do you want to revitalize that? Well, change who you 're working for you 're not working for that company you 're not working for that client or that customer. Uh, you are working as under the Lord as an act of worship to him to serve in that capacity. It is an act of worship and service to to God to do that. We get away from compartmentalizing our lives where we have what we do on Sunday here to worship God and then what we do Monday through Saturday is something different. It all can be an act of worship. It all can be an act of of service. Uh, So you take whatever you're interested in and whatever you're good at and you use that as an act of service. And And the thing that you shared with each other, okay, for hobbies and interests and that kind of thing, it it might very well be. It might not be. Maybe that's just a, a useful diversion from the pressures of life and that's just an enjoyable thing to restore yourself like sleep restores you and that hobby or that interest restores you. But it's interesting. Sometimes God will use even those hobbies and passions, he will use in a way to serve him. And, and maybe we as a church you know, could help you figure out uh, how to do that. I love this other quote by Dr. King. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Isn't that great? I love that, and and boy, here's one another quote from Dr. King I didn't put uh, into the, the study outline, but I love this one. Those who are not looking for happiness are the most likely to find it, because those who are searching forget that the surest way to be happy is to seek happiness for others. You know, that's the paradox of the Christian life. Uh, If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you're the servant of all. If you want to find joy and happiness, serve other people. Seek their happiness. You know, it's interesting. If you seek happiness, it only seems to elude you. But if instead of seeking happiness, you seek to serve God, to serve other people, you seek the happiness of others, you know what happens? Lo and behold, happiness comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, here I am. That's the blessed life. Uh, That's the life that Jesus has uh, called on us uh, to live. Now I want to just give you a great example of a life of service right now. I'm going to ask Peter and Dre Torrey to come up right now. And uh, Pastor Peter has been our executive pastor. And He is finally retiring. Jere, you've heard that before, haven't you? But uh, uh, this time we think it's real, okay? And, uh, And you'll see on the back of your study outline, as soon as this service is over, just make your way right through this door. First room on your right. We've got a little reception there for Jure and for Peter. And uh, grab something to drink or to eat and just get a chance to say thank you to them uh, for their years of service to our church, not just as executive pastor, but before that for decades. I think you were chairman of the deacons, chairman of trustees, moderator, pastoral search committee. I mean, he he just really has done it. The two of them have done it all. And they are a dynamic duo. This is a Priscilla and Aquila couple. And you'll notice Priscilla was mentioned first in the Bible. And so th- this really is. Let's thank Jeray as well. We appreciate her. So let me just give you the highlights of, of their life, of this life of service. And I love the autobiography that, that Peter wrote. Uh, let's put that book cover up there. Out of the Ordinary, Living an Extraordinary Life. Out of the ordinary, and that's your house in Canada, is that right? That's where Peter grew up. Out of an ordinary life, living an extraordinary life. Let me tell you some of the highlights. Pastored a church in Illinois that doubled in size. He pastored here in Pomona. They pastored here as a couple. But then for a while, Peter drove taxi for a while. So after being a pastor, he was a taxi driver. And I can attest to that. If you ride with him, it is the most terrifying thing that they've ever seen. And, uh, but you'll also get there fast. You will get there quickly, but you'll be scared to death along the way. And uh, then after driving taxi, uh, worked for World Vision, World Concern, an English language institute of China. Now, I love numbers like this. I, I love, when you get to heaven... You're going to have accumulated numbers for your life. You're going to be amazed. God's got this scorecard up there, and you're going to, how many times you did a word of encouragement, how many times you served somebody, how many times you said something, how many times you prayed for somebody, and you're going to be blown away, and we get little glimpses of that this side of heaven. But here here are some of his stats. Over the course of his career, he has traveled 2.5 million miles to 87 different countries, and raised approximately $300 million for Christian ministry and to meet the needs of the poor around the world. My goodness, that's over a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, He was president, Peter was president of Open Doors, which is one of the main ministries in the world to help Christians who are persecuted around the globe. And so this, this ministry opened doors, uh, started by Brother Andrew, if you remember that story, from uh, smuggling Bibles into communist countries and supporting those that are persecuted in persecuted countries. He was the leader in our nation in that defending the rights of those who are persecuted uh, around the world. He was vice president of International Bible Society, which produced the New International Version that I use most of the time here on Sunday morning. So Peter actually wrote the Bible, which is just like crazy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, get us all struck dead up here. Okay, anyway. Um, He started a Bible-based HIV AIDS prevention program that was translated into six languages and reached about five million people in 14 different countries. And then on a personal note, I'm so appreciative that as a member of the Pastoral Search Committee in 1993, uh, he brought Kimberly and me here from New York, from Homer, New York, went and found me in Homer, New York, uh, to be pastor here at our church of Pomona. Now, eight years ago, he retired from all that. And it makes me tired reading it. I can't imagine the two of you living it. Okay, so he retired from all that, but then when pastor, our precious Pastor Dennis Endert in Maryland, when he went down with health problems, Peter, um, unretired, came out of retirement Uh, to serve as our executive pastor for the past eight years. So could you stand now with me and show your appreciation to this couple uh, for their years and years of service at our church? Okay, you can have a seat. Uh, Peter, you want to share a couple
2: words? Thank you, Glenn, and, and thank you all um, it has been a joy and a privilege to be able to serve here. And um, I just want to say yes, I traveled the two and a half million miles on airplanes and all around the world. The the money that was raised that was a team effort. It was you know, I hired some people and they did all the work and I got all the credit. It's a great deal.
1: That kind of sounds like my job. <laughs> yeah. <actually>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really
2: works well. And uh, you know, back in 1993, I had no idea that I was hiring the best boss I've ever had. Yeah, back then. Uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. Wonderful to work for you, Glenn, and and uh, be a part of the ministry here. The one thing I want to say is that when you're serving God, the thing that you never know is the ultimate impact of of what you're doing. You know, when I was... When I was at uh, International Bible Society and we did the HIV prevention program, we distributed a million New Testaments all over and, and we knew that every New Testament was read by five people. So that impacted five million people. What we don't know is the impact that what, of what the, that five million people had on other people. And then the next impact and so forth. And when you're serving God, you may know what you've done, but you don't know what the impact is on down the line and how it multiplies. And that's the privilege of being able to be in ministry and the, and the privilege of being able to serve here at the church, because the impact of this church is just wonderful. And so it's been a real, real privilege, and Jere has been my support over these 47 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity of being a part of this ministry. Okay.
1: Well, you know, I've always wanted to do this because he's the guy you go to beg for money for different projects and things around the church. So this is a gift uh, from our church uh, uh, to you and Jere, Um, but you can't have it until the 1111 service. So there, yeah, that felt so good. Yeah, that was great. So after the 1111, I'm going to let you keep it. You want to just touch it? You want to smell it? And okay, then I can't have it. So let's thank this precious, precious couple one more time. Thank you, guys. And uh, like I said, right through that door after the service, they got a reception going on, you know, and you can get a chance to uh, say hi to them. You know, I should add one more thing, that in 1993, our church faced bankruptcy. Uh, When we built this building, uh, you, you know, it really was a stretch, and this happens to a lot of churches. They make that big stretch, and then they get themselves in trouble, and, you know, really, Peter is the man that God used so that this is not a civic center today. This is a house of worship. And we're so blessed by that. Okay, so everyone is, is called servant. you know, let me make, be careful because whenever you highlight, like, like, amazing, you know, things like that, oh, no, 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 remember, every act of service you do, every word of encouragement you say this week, that, that has this ripple effect, and you're going to be blown away. You know, so many times I say Christians don't take themselves seriously enough and that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because it's like, oh no, you know, we're not supposed to think anything of ourselves. We're not supposed to take ourselves seriously. So, no, I think the opposite is. Tr- I mean, certainly, I'm not advocating pride and arrogance, but I'm just saying that when we get to heaven, we're going to be blown away by how the acts of service and the and the giving and um, the praying and the sharing of Jesus and the inviting somebody to church so we can sh- I can share Jesus with them. I mean, all those little things. You get to heaven, you're just going to be amazed as God's going to show you the videotape, okay? The post-game videotape. And he's going to show you how this thing led to this thing that led to this thing. And you're just going to be blown away. And I think there's going to be a little bit of regret. I know there is for me. That's like, oh man, why didn't I, wouldn't I give it more of myself? Because the little I did give of myself, look at the impact of it. If I had given even more, imagine the more impact. And so I think we're going to get up to heaven and say, I wish I had taken myself more seriously. You know, when I walked in to teach that group of third graders, you know, uh, I thought, okay, here we go again. They're not listening. What difference does it make? If you were Billy Graham walking into a stadium of 70,000 people, you'd prepare what you were going to say. But, you know, you walk into that classroom of third graders, is this really making a difference? And I think you're going to be blown away how God's assignment to you was every bit as important as it was for Billy Graham or for somebody like uh, Peter Torrey. So everyone's called to serve. And then secondly, is designed. And here's our theme verse for this core value. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And he say, spiritual gifts? What are you talking about, uh, Glenn? Well, I'm going to explain a little bit more in a moment but right now, you'll see that there in your study outline. It says to discover your spiritual gift. There's a little test there. And that, that doesn't solve everything or, or give you everything. But it gets you going in the right direction. And I would encourage you to go online and to take that. And I, I believe so strongly in this that if you want to use your phone to take it right now, you figuring this out is more important than anything I'm going to say for the remainder of this time. So feel free to do that. I don't know if I'm going to offer that at 11.11, but right now, you know, I'm going to offer it. But, uh, or this afternoon, take that little test and it'll kind of get you a feel as to the direction that you're going in. I love these two verses. Job 10, verse 8, um, Job says to God, your hands shaped me and made me. God's hands shaped you and made you. And here's what he made you for. I love the New Jerusalem Bible, a translation of Isaiah 43, verse 21. God says, the people I have shaped for myself will broadcast my praises. not that awesome? The people, you, followers of Christ, that I have shaped for myself will broadcast my praises. Now, one of the ways we do that is through serving him. Now, how do we figure out how we're supposed to serve him or what area or what way? Well, I use this little acronym called SHAPE okay? The first is spiritual gifts. So you figure out your spiritual gift. Now what I mean by spiritual gift, it's different than a talent or an ability. Sometimes it could be the same. A talent or ability is something like you're good at math or you're mechanically inclined or uh, you're, you're good at teaching or something like that. that that's, a, that's an ability. A spiritual gift can be the same, but it's a little bit different in the sense that just spiritually things happen when you serve in this particular way. For example, I, whenever I've taken these tests and that kind of thing, have the gift of exhortation, which probably a a more contemporary word would be the gift of encouragement. So I found throughout my ministry that when I talk to people one-on-one or when I preach or teach, people feel encouraged. Uh, And so that's because I'm working in my area of spiritual giftedness. It's like the wind's blowing behind me of the Holy Spirit when I do that. Uh, For you, or for Pastor Peter, it was a gift of administration. You find that when you, you have that gift of administration or leadership and things get more organized when you work on them than when other people work on them. You just find that things kind of come together. Well, that's the gift of administration. Uh, the gift of mercy. You're the person that when you walk into a room, you're drawn to the whoever's hurting the most in that room. Whoever's heart has been broken by life. Uh, whoever's gone through a time of brokenness, you, they light up like a neon sign to you. And other people may miss it, but you sense it. Why? Because you have the spiritual gift of mercy. The spiritual gift of helps is where you just see what needs to be done practically uh, for things to happen. You're the person that sees, oh, those chairs need to be set up. Uh, or, or you're the person that sees, oh, that needs to be torn down. I mean, I confess this is one of my weaker areas, so I will be here at the end of church uh, today, and I'll be talking to people for an hour after the last benediction. And as I'm talk, talk, talking, people will be tearing things down and putting chairs around all around me. I will be oblivious to it. Uh, there's a young lady at, at the, after the 11:11 11 service, so a woman, that every Sunday… She goes through and cleans up the trash um, here in the sanctuary. She's not on our staff, not paid. That's just her thing. And so I'll be talking to people and praying with people and all around me, she's cleaning things up. That's because that's her area of spiritual giftedness. Okay. Now the second one is heart. This is what your passions are. What is the thing that gets you up in the morning? What is the, the thing that you are passionate about? That's your heart. Then thirdly are your abilities. Now these are more your natural abilities. You have naturally musical ability or you have an ability to fix things or you have a, a, a knack in a certain area, okay? So that's your natural abilities and you would have that whether you were following Christ or not. You get your spiritual gift when you open your heart and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But you would have the, you had these natural abilities before you came to Christ. Sometimes they dovetail, sometimes they don't. And then your personality, and you know how I always say that um, there's never been another you like you. You are utterly unique. There's never going to be another person. Nobody can beat you at being you. You don't need to be competitive with other people. You don't, you don't need to feel put down because somebody has more giftedness in a certain area than you do because there's never been another you and there never will be a, another you for all of eternity. And I got some scientific mathematical stats I just happened upon this past week that kind of back that up. Do you know your DNA um, possibilities? You know, DNA kind of determines certain things about you. And do you know that the number of possible DNA combinations there are for any particular person is 10 to the 2.4 billionth power. That's a 10 with a 1 and 2.4 billion zeros after that 1. If each one of those zeros was an inch wide, that, those zeros would be 37,000 miles long. And you are one in that DNA possibilities and combinations. For example, the known universe has only, particles in the known universe is only 10 to the 76th power. That's all. That's all it is. 10 to the 76th power. And yet you are one in 10 to the 2.4 billionth power. So, when somebody puts you down this week or when somebody hurts your feelings, you just strut around. Okay, whatever, whatever. I'm one in 2.4 billion. (laughs) Never been another me, never will be another me. And God designed you. What did He say? He shaped you. And your personality is uniquely yours. So, you combine these things spiritual gifts, heart abilities, personality. Um, You put them in a certain place. Okay, even with these combinations, there's only been one you that serves. He placed you in that family, in that school, in that workplace, in that neighborhood. You're there in this time of history. God chose this combination of things to place in that circumstance at this time in history. And then he gave you certain experiences. And your experiences make you unique as well. And I've just been amazed as I've gotten older to look back over my life. God never wastes an experience. It's just crazy how that class in high school that bored you to tears, and lo and behold, God uses that thing. Uh, that, that, That class in college or whatever, you just thought, what is the purpose of this? And lo and behold, God uses that thing. Or more broken things. You went through that hard experience. You had your heart broken. You went through a tough time in your life. God uses all those experiences mixed together spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and even your past experience will be used by God if you turn that over to Him. He'll use it in the future. Let's watch this together.
3: I think about all the things that have impacted my life and. Um... For me, it was my teenage years. My teenage years were probably one of the most difficult and hardest times I have ever experienced. I think about substance use, I think about um, being promiscuous, being sexually active. There was many things that my family had did to try to help me through those times. And one of the most important things was bringing me to church and bringing me to Purpose Church. I came into this community that I had never seen before. I had never experienced people like this. I had never seen a community of believers. I didn't even know if I believed myself. I had a son while I was in high school. And it was crazy to see that high school ministry kind of stuck by me and they were with me during that time. We moved and I enlisted in the military. And that brought a world of trouble and world of hurts and habits and hang-ups that came along with it and Purpose Church was still praying for me they were still sending me letters they were still you know asking for me and my wife actually started getting she got replugged in into the church because she moved out here um, during my deployment being outside of community and being outside of the church just um, it didn't feel the same I was able to sustain it on my own We started going to Purpose Church, and I knew immediately during that time that, you know, God's equipped me, God's given me so many experiences, and He's blessed me abundantly, that it was my time to serve. I started serving at The Landing. I started serving at HSM. My son started going to HSM, and it just felt like full circle that we came back because I was able to see that my son was now attending the same youth group that my wife and I both attended. To me, it was one of the most amazing gifts that I could have ever got. If my stories taught me anything and just the grace and what God's been able to do in my life is that everyone is designed to serve.
1: Let's hear it for JP. That is awesome, man. I'm telling you. And, and he is just a dynamo in our high school ministry. Oh my goodness. You know, Pastor Eric recruited him and he has just been on fire. Yeah, he and his wife, Rebecca. So, Okay. First part, everyone is designed or shaped, and finally, to serve. And you see that little graphic we used a couple of weeks ago, big, small, serve. And there's a little bit of a guideline, and this is not a biblical guideline, okay? But it's based on the biblical guideline of the tithe, okay? God gave us a principle, a command even in Scripture that we are to give 10% of our income to the local church to further God's work. And so that's something that is biblical. That's something that is in Scripture. But this is more just a practical guideline that kind of goes along with that, uh, that we as the pastors kind of came up with. So the other one God came up with, this one, the pastors. So don't put them in the same category now, okay? But this one we thought, okay, people are always asking, well, how much is enough, you know? And that's the way it is with the the financial tide. I mean, with the needs in the world uh, to reach people for Christ, you know, does God want us to give it all away? Or does God want us to give nothing away? And so that's why God gave us this 10% guideline. Well, the same thing is true with this that you say, you know, should I quit my job and all I do is serve other people and serve God? Or do I never serve? And so we kind of thought that we're kind of brainstorming on this that, okay, the typical person works 40 to 50 hours a week. And so what's a tithe of your work week? It's about four or five hours. So what if we all, as a church, took a tithe of our work week, four to five hours every week, to do these three things, big, small, serve, in order to fulfill our mission, to connect with God, to connect with each other, and to connect others with God, okay? Big, uh, so take an hour and a half in each one of them to add up to four and a half uh, hours, okay? Uh, Big, hour and a half each week to worship God, like we're doing right now. By the time you get in here and, and visit with people and head out, about an hour and a half. About an hour and a half in a small group uh, per week. So big worship, small accountability and encouragement in a small group, and then an hour and a half each week to serve. And we believe that if everybody in our church family tithe their work week four and a half hours a week, hour and a half, hour and a half, hour and a half, uh, big worship God, small, small group accountability and encouragement um, and teaching and training And hour and a half each week to serve in some capacity, we believe we as a church would grow in fulfilling that mission statement, connect with God, connect with others, and connect others with God. Now, how do you figure out what area to serve in? Uh, Three suggestions I would make uh, based on Scripture. The first is to ask. Just ask God. Have we ever asked God, God, where would you have me uh, to serve? James 1 uh, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we simply ask God, God, where would you have me uh, to serve? I would also say that one of the ways you can hear the voice of God is asking other people, ask the members of your small group, hey, you know me best. Where's an area? You know my giftedness. Where would you see me serving? That's a great thing to ask others. Now, this is what today is all about. This is Serve Sunday. And so when you leave in a few minutes and go out into the lobby, you will see people of all different ministries, leaders and people representing different ministries within uh, a bunch of ministries within our church that you could just ask questions of. And don't worry, you're not caught if you make eye contact with them, okay? You know how it is when you go someplace and don't make eye contact with the salespeople. You know, just walk straight ahead. Whenever I go to the L.A. County Fair, I tell the kids, don't look to the left or to the right. Just walk ahead. Don't don't make eye contact with the guy that's selling a dicer or something over here. Just don't make, you'll get hooked in. And the next thing you know, Rebecca's signed us up for a spa or something like that. So at at any rate, um, uh, you know, just, it's not going to be that kind of thing. You just ask questions. They're there to just answer any questions. Hey, would this maybe, and so if you look at this, could everybody pull out this insert that you've got? And it says, everyone is designed to serve. It looks just like this. And it's got eight ministries in it. There are many more ministries within our church, but we just chose these eight. And there's a representative from each of these eight. And you can just go and ask them questions. And if you get a chance to fill it out, either turn it in at one of the serve tables or put it in your offering box at one of the exits. As you leave, just put it in one of the offering boxes and somebody can call you to answer any questions that you might have. And you just talk to them. Now, what if you say, well, what if there's nothing on there that interests me? Still talk to one of those people or talk to one of the pastors because it just might be that something you're interested in that we're not yet doing, then our job as a church to, is to come alongside you and equip you so that you can uh, fulfill that passion of your life. And so many times we are starting new ministries that we didn't just sit there in a pastor's meeting and say, I think we ought to have a so-and-so many." Most of the time it bubbles up from the grassroots and people come to us saying, you know, I've got this burden to do this. And so we say, well, let's see if we can help you fulfill that. That's, that's the way many, many ministries uh, start, um, start around here. And so you ask God, you ask others, and today I would encourage you, fill this out, turn it in, just talk, ask a couple questions before you leave of a couple of those uh, representatives that are out there. And then you experiment. And, and I love this passage, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, because you get the idea in Scripture that all these people in the early church, they just always knew exactly what God wanted them to do. And oh, I wish I lived back then because I have so much trouble figuring out what God wants me to do. And they just seem to always know. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Sometimes you have to experiment and and find out certain things are not what God has called you to do before you figure out the thing that is. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 16, one of the missionary journeys of Paul. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Here's Paul, Mr. Super-Christian, and he says, we're supposed to go to the province of Asia. And so they start to go, and God says, nope, wrong, Paul. Uh, So, next verse, verse 7. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. So, Super-Christian Paul says, it's Bithynia where we're supposed to serve but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Strike two, Paul. Finally, verse 8, they passed by Mysia, went down to Troas. In the middle of the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over. By the way, if you're a European background, you should praise God for this moment, because this is the first time the gospel went from Asia and Africa to the continent of Europe, okay? So if you have any European background in you, this is your moment when the gospel came to you um, from the continents that started in Africa and Asia and then the next continent it went to uh, was to Europe. So come over to Macedonia and help us. And so verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, that's, that's Greece, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now this is the same experience you're going to have as you kind of experiment with where to serve. Let's go back to verse 6, okay? So this is where it would read for you. Uh, You travel through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Uh, You think to yourself, I'm going to serve in the province of Asia. I'm going to serve in children's ministries, okay? But the Holy Spirit, you try out children's ministry, and you sense the Holy Spirit is keeping you away from there, okay? So you say, how about high school ministry? So next thing you know, next verse, so you come to the border of Mycia, you try to enter high school ministry. I'm going to serve in high school ministry. But the Spirit of Jesus won't allow you to do that, okay? Not there either. So, skipping ahead to verse 9, let's go to verse 9. In the middle of the night, you have a vision of a junior hire. And it would take a vision, right? Okay, it would take a vision. <laughs> Standing and begging you, come over to junior high ministry and help us. So sometimes you check out certain things. Let's, let's do it again. Let's go back to verse 6, all right? Uh, this is all in the original Greek. If you dig deeper, this is all right there. I, I'm joking. That's not true. Okay, so let's say uh, you decide to do parking lot ministry. But you try that out, and the, the Holy Spirit uh, keeps you, says, no, that's not quite it. So next thing you know, is you try rocking babies, Bithynia's babies, B, Bithynia, B, babies. You try rocking babies in the nursery. But the Spirit of Jesus says, you don't want to rock babies in the nursery. Okay. So finally, you sense this call from God uh, to serve, let's say, that was the thing that Joe was pushing earlier, uh, Pomona Youth Club. You you decide, you know what? God is calling me to tutor little kids from the neighborhood surrounding our church here after school two days a week on Tuesday and Thursday. Come over and, and tutor us and share Jesus with us And finally, on that third try, you say, you know, I think this is what God is calling me to do, okay? So you ask, you experiment, and then you just enjoy. Ephesians 2, verse 10, love this verse. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so you just enjoy doing the thing that God designed you to do. Now, as we come down the home stretch of this message, I want to talk about serving God in all the quarters, every quarter of your life. Okay? In the same way a football player wants to play well, give it his or her be- his best in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, you want to do the same. You want to serve God in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. So in the first quarter, you're in your teens and, and 20s. Your first quarter, when you're young, you want to serve God. In the second quarter, when you're in your 30s and 40s, you want to serve God. In the third quarter, when you're in your 50s, and now you're experiencing the empty nest, um, the children have moved on, and so you want, serve, you want to serve God in your third quarter. In the fourth quarter, in your 60s, 70s, even into your 80s, um, uh, you're, you're retired. And now you don't just want to coast now. You wanna give it your best. You wanna run through the finish line. You wanna play the best, serve the best in your fourth quarter of any other quarter of all. You want to serve in all four quarters. So now you're in your 60s, 70s, early 80s, and, and so you want to serve well in your fourth quarter. You say, Well, Glenn, what about if I'm in my 90s? Well, you're in overtime then, and you wanna and you wanna serve God in overtime. And we're all jealous of you because we all wanna make overtime, double overtime, triple overtime. And so you serve Him God. Let me give you some examples of, of what I'm talking about. Jan Van Alstein. Uh Jan, Jan likes to sew, okay? And so she got together a, a group of other uh, ladies, uh, I think it is all ladies, within our church, and started a group in our church called Dress a Girl Around the World. And so what they did is they began to make dresses to give to to young girls all around the world, you'll see in Zambia, Pastor Sham and Pastor Greg, uh, they were there in Zambia and they saw some of these dresses that you have made from the church here. And, and she just liked to sew; she just enjoyed sewing, and started this. And here's the cool thing: they just passed a thousand dresses that they have made uh, for the little girls all around the world. Isn't that great? Okay, no, she, you know, this is something she enjoyed doing. Can you enjoy serving God? Absolutely. It's like the little girl in her Sunday school class, and the teacher said, how do you know what God's will is? And the little girl said, you just think of the thing that would make you the most miserable, and that's what you do. That, that's got to be God's will. And a lot of Christians think that way. And yeah, sometimes there's some hard stuff, but most of the time I find God wants me to serve in areas where I'm naturally inclined, where my, my passion is. I'll give you another example. Ronnie Goins. Roddy Goins, he works on cars for a living, but he also does that as a ministry here at the church as the head of our cars ministry. He gets guys, I believe it's all guys, and uh, once every few months they invite all the single women of our church, uh, widows, um, single moms, single women within our church to come and they do maintenance on their cars here in the church parking lot and do repair work on their cars, or they do maintenance to make sure the cars are safe and, 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 and running well. And do you know that our cars ministry just passed 2,500 cars that have been worked on through the cars ministry? Here's another example. Mary Wallace. Mary likes to knit. So along with Roberta Allen and Pat Wenzel and others within our church who like to knit, they knitted um, 175 scarves so that every one of our students that goes to winter camp, 5th through 12th grades, would have a scarf in the month of February when they go up to the mountains to Thousand Pines. Every one of them would have a scarf as a gift from our church to them. It includes a little prayer in it for them, a little note of encouragement. She called up to Thousand Pines and says, what's the theme of your winter camp, you know, what's the theme, what are the colors, what's the theme, and and made them designed for that theme. So every one of our students that goes to winter camp this month is going to have a scarf made from these women in our church that love to do knitting. How how about that? Now let me just finish by talking about specifically the the fourth quarter, although this applies to all four quarters. Let me talk about the fourth quarter. Uh, I've got to just be prepared the, the next five minutes is a shameless plug for my book that just came out today, okay? So just like at the, at the L.A. County Fair, avert eye contact with me right now, okay? You know, just don't want to make any eye contact. But I've got a book coming out today. Um, the previous one was Biblical Antidotes to Life's Toxins. This one is called Fourth Quarter Fumbles, Keys to Finishing Strong. It's not a football book, so don't be put off by that. That's just the analogy that I use. It is a Bible study, uh, biblical teaching, not, um, not a football book. But I'm just telling you, this title, Fourth Quarters, Keys to Finishing Strong, you probably know this from my preaching, but I am obsessed with finishing well in the Christian life. And I am obsessed. The thing that gets me out of bed every morning is I want to do everything in my power to help you as my church family finish well also. That is the goal of my life. You see, so many Christians start well and they do not finish well. Have you seen that around with some of your Christian friends? Start well, but they don't finish well. A lot of churches start well, but they don't finish well. And we want to be a church of finishers. We want to be a church that finishes. That's why we've been around for 147 years, because we're a marathon church. We are not a sprinter church. We're not the flashiest church around. We're not the, 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 the hippest church around, but we are a marathoner church. We're not sprinters. We're marathoners here. At Purpose Church. And we want to be a church of finishers. Uh, and, and, I, and, and my passion for you as my church family is for you to finish well. Do everything I can as your pastor to help you finish well. And I want to finish well also. You're going to think I'm crazy, but ever since I turned 60, I've been doing this little habit when I get out of bed in the morning, if, if, when I remember it. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was that again? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, have you ever seen a football game when they start the fourth quarter, the players will hold up a four. Have you ever seen that? And what that means, if you've played football, what that means, or if you've seen it there on a football game, they hold a four to say, let's make the fourth quarter our best. Let's play it right through to the end. Let's give the fourth quarter our all. Number four, they hold up the number four. So when I remember, first thing I do when I get out of bed in the morning, I hold up the four. I say, oh God. Help the fourth quarter to be the best. Help me to finish well. And help me to help my precious church family, who I love so dearly, to finish well also. And so, what I did was a study of the 12 kings. It's 11 or 12, depending on how you count it. But the 12 kings in the Old Testament uh, that started well but did not finish well because of a fourth quarter fumble. They made a mistake in the fourth quarter. And this applies to first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, but they made a fourth. They started well, but they did not finish well because of a fourth uh, quarter uh, fumble. And these are obscure kings, most of them. Some are well-known like Solomon, Saul, and David, but most are obscure. Hezekiah, Joash, Josiah, Asa, uh, Manasseh. These are some of the more obscure uh, kings in the Old Testament that started well but they did not finish well because they fumbled in the fourth quarter. And so what I wanted to do is to teach biblical principles so we could learn from their lives so we don't make the same mistakes and don't have a fumble, not just in the fourth quarter but first, second, or third quarter as well. And so these are available in the lobby. Uh, the, The cost to us is $10, but you know what? You're my church family. Don't even worry about the money part. Take as many as you want and don't worry about the money part. Um, I just want you to be able to give these to your friends, any that you think would be helpful and if it would be helpful to you. So don't worry about it. If you can afford the 10 bucks, great. If you don't have it with you or you can't afford it, don't even worry about it. I just want to get this uh, within your hands because my passion is that we will be a group of Christ followers who do not just start the race well, but we finish well, okay? Now, um, as the praise band comes up for closing worship, uh, I just need to make a confession to you, okay? How many of you were rooting for the Falcons or against the Patriots last, last Sunday? Okay, okay. Yeah, here's, here's, here's my, Pastor Jay, keep your comments to yourself, please, okay? All right, Here, uh, here's a confession I have to make. I think I'm the reason that happened, okay? I'm, I'm so sorry. I was rooting for the Falcons also. I think it's my fault. I think it's my fault. Let me tell you why I think it's my fault. I'm sitting there with the family. We're watching the Super Bowl. I'm happy as can be because I'm rooting for the Falcons, and I'm just sitting there. Falcons are hopelessly ahead. I mean, they're up by 16 points, eight minutes to go. They have the ball. Nobody loses a football game in in that circumstance, nobody. And all of a sudden, as we get into the fourth quarter, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, this whole remembering thing? I'm not supposed to be rooting for either team. I'm supposed to be rooting for a close game with a fourth quarter fumble, so I could help me promote my book on Sunday. <laughs> I'm serious. You see where this is going. True story. So I prayed. I said, "Lord, it's too late. I know, because the Falcons are hopelessly ahead. This is a blowout game. There's probably no point to this. But if there's any way I could get a fourth quarter fumble, that would be like great." And then this happened. New England scores the next 22 points and wins the Super Bowl. <laughs> Biggest comeback in, 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 in Super Bowl history. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I was even rooting for because everybody in the room, my family, knew I was this way. They said, Dad, how about if now New England fumbles and then Atlanta wins? I said, that'll be cool. That would be great. I could show two of them. You know what I mean? But it, it, it's my fault. Does anybody want to be on my prayer list, by, by the way? Yeah. you know. <sighs> All right. Hey, let's stand up. Let's worship a little bit as we head out.